here with us visiting or relatively new with us here this morning, my name is Ben James. I'm the lead pastor here at FCC. Uh, one of the things that uh, you know, we want you from beginning to end in our services, we want to be able to hone you in on Scripture and really have these deep spiritual moments. But I want to give you a little insight into my head here. And I, and I feel like each Sunday... <laughs> I'm going to say something that could prove to make this my last Sunday. So every now and then I just go for it. But give you a little glimpse into my mind. Chad, thank you for that for the communion thought. I love that. But did anybody else, when he got up and introduced himself and he said, We are farmers, did in your mind it go bum 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 bum? And it's just it's where I went. <laughs> like, I know, help me, Jesus, right? I need it. Your prayers are very coveted here this morning. And you know, even through this, like this time of COVID that, that we've been through and still going through uh, with the online, with the live stream, with, you know, kind of being disconnected at times and not being able to meet and then still having some here, some not. Uh, I've found that, that my humor is just much more appreciated in person. Like when, when you all are here, like it's much more... Because to be, to be honest with you, what we found out is online, people don't even find me remotely funny. Remotely. Sometimes you got to let it sit and just marinate for a little bit. Anyhow, let's, uh, let's get into the message uh, today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 6. We're going to be getting there in just a moment. And as we have the past few weeks, and as it is good to do as you're going through a story, a narrative, it's good to like catch up and connect the, the previous week with where you are now. So at the end of chapter 5, what we saw last week was we saw this message of hope, and then we saw the delivering of this message of hope and Pharaoh's response, which was to increase the workload, in, increase uh, the oppression, the darkness that they were living in, and he took the straw away from them said, hey, you're going to have to go get your own straw, bring it back to make bricks. Uh, we see where the foremen go into Pharaoh to, you know, the Israelite foremans, they're trying to figure out what's going on and, and maybe, uh, you know, advocate on behalf of the nation to get the, this workload lessened. And it didn't. You know, Pharaoh said, you're still going to have to continue to get all the straw and you're not going to be able, I'm not going to cut your quota of bricks down each day. Each day you're going to be expected to say, have the same amount of bricks done. So, the Israelite foremen come out and they blame Moses and Aaron because they were the ones that delivered this message. Then, at the very end of chapter 5, what we see is we see Moses turning to God, Moses and Aaron turning to God and blaming God. It was like, God, why is this happening? Why did he not let him go? And we have to remember that God has already told Moses twice that this is going to happen. So we talked last week about how to deal with disappointment rooted in hope. You know, like when you have these great expectations, the hopes are high, how we deal with disappointment and discouragement in those types of moments. And we said the first thing we need to remember is that we're human. You know, we're limited. We're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our understanding. We're limited in our strength and our power. We're even limited to being one place at one time. And we looked at the omnis of God, that He was omnipotent, that He was omnipresent, and He was omniscient. He's all-powerful, He's everywhere at all times, and He knows everything. So when you're disappointed in your hope, understand that you're human and you don't understand everything. But God does. Secondly, we looked at the fact that we will have troubles. In this life, we will have troubles. In John 16, Jesus tells us that. 
that in this life you will have trouble, but find your peace, find your comfort, find your joy in me because I have overcome the world. And then lastly, we looked at the third thing to do in moments of disappointment in dealing with that is to look to the cross. And when we look to the cross, it helps us do a few things. It helps uh, that fear of man subside because our focus is on Jesus Christ. It also helps us to remember what He's done and how He's been faithful to us all the time and that God hasn't given us a reason for us to think that He's going to abandon us. And He's not going to. And then we see that the third thing that looking to the cross does is that it helps us to walk in complete obedience, not compromised obedience like we saw in uh, Moses and Aaron in the first verse, chapter 5. So that brings us up to where we are now. Okay, the workload is intensified. Disappointment, discouragement, all, all of that, the despair, all the deeds that I could think of right here to describe how the nation of Israel is feeling, all of that is setting in because the darkness has got even darker. And this is where we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to be reading, this. Going, we're going to be covering the whole chapter, but we're going to be reading the first 13 verses. So Exodus chapter 6, verse 1 says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, I believe we see three things in these 13 verses that I want to cover with us this morning. I think we see a problem. I think we see a story. And I think we see a reward. So that's what we're going to cover today. Out of this passage, we're going to see a problem. We're going to see a story. And we're going to see a reward. The first that we see is the problem. And that problem is sin. Now, I want to break this down for us a little bit because that's kind of a broad brush church statement that the problem in our life is sin, right? I mean, that's because we can trace everything back to all of our problems in our lives being rooted back to sin. And that's accurate. But I want us, instead of just painting with a broad brush this morning, I kind of want to break this down as to why sin is the problem in this particular story. And we're going to look at the sin of Moses and Aaron here for just a bit. Now, connecting back again to the end of chapter 5, Moses and Aaron say, why, God, 
You know, they're blaming God for this. Why have you done this? You've made everything terrible. What's going on? This is all your fault. Folks, can I submit to you something here? I don't know if we see a greater example of God's grace, His love, and His mercy more than what we see right here. I mean, because if you've got an Old Testament picture of God, if you've got a picture of God at all, is this old, cranky old man sitting on a throne with a big beard and just a powerful staff waiting just to zap somebody, waiting just to zap you the moment that you mess up, I want us to look at passages like this, that even in the Old Testament, when these characteristics of love, mercy, kindness, where they're not really attributed to God in this Old Testament, we still see moments of it. Because if there's ever a time that someone or a couple people deserve to be zapped by God, it was right here. And let's not get self-righteous here, as Kennedy was talking a little bit earlier. Let's not get self-righteous here. You and I deserve to be zapped by God daily. Amen? Okay, I deserve to be zapped by God daily. Amen? See, it's always louder that way. It's always louder that way. But we see such a beautiful picture of God's grace, His mercy, and His love. Now here's why I want us to focus in and, and kind of give a detail about sin being the problem here. Because I believe that when times get difficult, when we face hard times, whenever we face trials, tribulations, tests, whatever, if we're going through something that is uncomfortable, I believe it's in those moments that what is inside of us comes out. And I think that's what we're seeing with Moses and Aaron here. They've taken this word, they've hesitantly even at best gone in and said i you know this is what's going to happen here's what we're going to do god's going to free everyone even though god's told us twice we're not going to tell them that part that, that it's going to be tough but we're going to go and it's just magically going to happen and then they go and they do it and what god says is going to happen happens and then they just all of a sudden you know the pressure there's there's blame that's being thrown on them people are pointing fingers saying they, this is your fault we don't like you see there was a people-pleasing kind of side of Moses and Aaron. And we all still struggle with that to this day. But whenever the pressure of the situation started closing in on Moses and Aaron, the first thing that they did is that they blamed God. And I believe this gives us a glimpse into the heart of Moses and the heart of Aaron at this point. Because the moment that the pressure happened, what was inside of them came out of them. And I think, it's, I think it's the same with us today. I think it's true for us also, right? Like whenever things get stressful, whenever things get ugly, whenever conversations turn uncomfortable and situations happen that we don't want, isn't it kind of our knee-jerk reaction for things that we don't like about ourselves to be the, the reaction to it? In that, at least that's the case with me. I think we still struggle with this. If, if there's anger, and it may not even be something that you know that you're dealing with, there may be something inside of you that you don't even know is there, but a situation comes about, and man, that's the first thing that comes out. Like somebody comes against you, and then all of a sudden, angerness, bitterness, uh, just this, um, you know, if, if there's any type of uh, hatred, frustration, irritability. <laughs> I know, we get to stuff like that. I'm not preaching anymore. I'm starting to meddle. Okay, I get it. But when we begin to respond with these things, this is a situation, this is an uncomfortable situation that we may not even know what's in us, but it's beginning to come out of us. 
An illustration for this. This is my coffee cup. Anybody have that favorite coffee cup that, that you have? This is my church favorite coffee cup. James and Thomas, no. No touchy. Okay? No touchy. Now, I've got water in here right now. I've already had two cups of coffee this morning. I figured I should probably not have any more. But what's in this cup right now is water. Now, if someone were to come along and smack my wrist, then at least in part, inevitably, what's in this cup is going to come out of it. Right? Like I'm going to spill a little bit of water. So when I do this, nobody panics because it's water. It's going to dry. I promise. This carpet will be here after the apocalypse. All right, that's, that's all I'm telling you. Okay? So whatever's in this cup will inevitably come out. Now, if somebody hits me on the wrist, I can't control that. If there's an earthquake that happens that shakes this and water comes out and I spill, I can't control that. But you know what I can control? What's in the cup? You see, I was responsible for putting the water in the cup. If it would have been coffee, I would have been the one that put the coffee in here. Juice, whatever, milk, it doesn't matter. I'm responsible for what's inside. So see, when moments of out of my control hit me in my life, I can't control that. But what I can control is what's going to come out when my life is shaken. So I believe that sin is the biggest problem here as we see in these first couple verses that there are things happening in this situation that are beyond the control of anyone, beyond Moses' control, beyond Aaron's control, but beyond the Hebrew nation's control. But what we're seeing is, is when that happens, when that shaking happens, there's something that starts to spill out of Moses and Aaron, and God's revealing a problem. So in our lives, when we think about this, know that the pressure-filled situations that you face, you may not be able to control them. Whether, you're, whether they're your fault or not, it's going to reveal what's in you. And here's the beautiful part. We need to celebrate, and, and, and stay with me, track with me for just a minute. We need to celebrate when we face something like that and something ugly comes out of us. We need to celebrate that. You want to know why? Because God has just revealed to us a portion of our life that doesn't look like Him. And he wants it dealt with. Now, I'm not saying to rejoice over your sin, but I'm saying to rejoice over the fact that God loves you so much just the way you are, but he's not content with leaving you that way. So we see sin as the problem here. Now, I think the second section that we see is verses 3 through 8 is the story. Because God, again, he doesn't zap Moses and Aaron like he probably justifiably could and maybe should. But God begins to go back and start saying, like, listen, I am the one who made the promise. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I revealed myself to them, but not by name. I've taken you and I've given you this privilege that no one else has ever known. And I'm revealing myself in a way that I've never shown anyone before. And he begins to make these promises. I believe that he says that I am the Lord like five times in six verses. And he begins saying that, listen, I'm the one Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to be the one to set free. I'm going to be the one to send you out. I'm going to be the one to take care of you. I'm going to be the one to handle all of this. 
And he's giving them this story as they move through so that they remember, hey, I've still got this. You're blaming me, but I've already told you about this. Remember at the burning bush? Did it a couple times. Remember on your way? Did it then. I'm still here. I've still got this. Even in the darkest of moments when we feel like everything is going against us, rest assured, church, that God is still there. That's one of the main themes of Exodus that we talked about in that first week's introduction, that God's presence never leaves us. Even if we're in a place where we can't feel it, we can't see it, we can't sense it, there's nothing tangible about it, God never leaves us. And I think that this story that God is shaping here, we have to understand something, that God's story is beautiful. God's story in your life is beautiful. God's story in my life is beautiful. God's story all throughout history is beautiful. Amen? But make no mistake about it. Even though it's full of beauty and wonder, God's story is not pain-free. Can I say that again? God's story is not pain-free. It's not going to be pain-free in your life. It's not going to be pain-free in my life. It hasn't been pain-free from the beginning of time. From Genesis 3 on, God's story is a beautiful story, but it's full of pain. And here's the fair part. Okay, because sometimes we can take that kind of a statement and we can say, well, that's not fair because it's happening to me. And we get through this, you know, we get into these poor, poor, pitiful me, nobody knows the trouble I've seen type moments. And we think that it's just so unfair and so unjust, the amount of pain, the trials or the hurt that we're going through. And what we have to recognize is that, yes, all of those things are real. They're legitimate. The hurt, the pain, all of it is very real. But the fact of it is, God's story is not pain-free, even for God Himself. His story is not pain-free for Him. Matter of fact, Jesus came and endured a greater level of pain and agony than you and I ever will. He came and paid the ultimate price. So when we think our life has gotten too painful and it's unfair and it's not just, just remember that take that pain that you're experiencing it and amplify it I don't know how many times, but that's exactly what God went through. God's story in our lives is beautiful, but it's not pain-free. God's story in all of creation is beautiful, but it's not pain-free to Him. You have a Savior that can relate to what you're going through. And that's good, isn't it? And it's good for me to know that in my moments of greatest pain and doubt and fear and hurt and anxiety and worry and all of these things, that I've got a Savior who's like, He's, he's not up there looking like, I'm not for sure what to do right now. I don't know how to relate to that. I've never been through it. No, we have a Savior that can look and say that I've felt what you felt. I've been where you've been. I've struggled the way you're struggling. So in all of our times of struggle, in all of our times of pain, in all of our times of doubt, we have a Savior who can empathize with us because He's been through it Himself. Amen? And that should be a source of comfort for us. Here, here's a little nugget of a statement for you that if you take notes, you might want to jot this down, that vision in your life gives purpose to your pain. 
The vision or the plan of God in your life gives purpose to your pain. If it's not for vision, if it's not for a godly plan, if it's not for His purpose, then it's just pain for pain's sake. But vision in your life gives purpose to your pain. I think the third thing that we see here is the reward. We've kind of already touched on that. That throughout this story, that the reward, I am the Lord. That's our reward. I am the Lord. He says it five times and says, I am the Lord. In Moses' greatest times of doubt and fear and even blame, even blaming God, he says, I am the Lord. Make no mistake about it. God is our reward. God is our reward. It's not a blessing that we can receive here on earth. It's not a relationship that we can have here on earth. It's not a job. It's not a promotion. It's not a car. It's not a house. It's none of that. Now, will God bless us with that? Perhaps. He's been known to, but at times we can't bank on that. God Himself is our reward. If we receive nothing else from God for the rest of our lives other than the fact that a loving Savior came and died a sinless, innocent life for a guilty, sin-filled person like you and I, then that should be more than enough for us for all of our days because that is a blessing far beyond any of us ever deserve or ever will deserve. So God is our... I am the Lord. Focus on... On him. And oh, think about that reward that it's going to be. If we don't, if we, because I can, I know most everyone in here, I know part of your stories at least, if not the majority of them, you are blessed far more than you deserve. God has blessed us far more than we deserve. But even if you're in here and you've not been blessed by God, oh, what a day that will be that my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face. What a, what a blessing. Think about it. If that's the only reward we see, how amazing is that going to be? I don't know about you all, but that excites me. That brings joy to my heart. That even in the midst of darkness, I have a promise that I have a Savior who never leaves me, and one day I'm going to be with Him in eternity. Now, I'm going to wrap things up here in just a minute, but if you read through the rest of the chapter... What you're going to see is that verses 14 through 25, there's this riveting passage of genealogy. I don't know what was going on with Moses and his authorship here. I don't know if he was writing this narrative and he was like, you know, had that, uh, that attention deficit moment that he's like writing, okay, and God, I am the Lord. I wonder what's going on in Ancestry.com. Oh, the Levite ancestor. Let me write that down. Someone will find that fascinating. So now I'm going to be honest with you. Another transparent moment here. I had a decision to make this week. That I could take this portion of my message and I could read all of the genealogy and mess up all but two names. Or I could tell you to go read it and take my word for it. Give you three seconds to guess which one I chose. Yeah, read verses 14 through 25 when you get a chance. But this is, the, this is a genealogy. And there's, let's be honest. I mean, we're talking about a genealogical record here. Okay, it's not like the most riveting reading. And probably in your Bible reading plans, if you're honest, 
It's, you know, I don't know what Moses is doing here. And this thus begat thus and thus begat him and him. If I can't say his name. We don't find that riveting. And we may even skip over it. But know this, that even when a genealogy in Scripture seems to be random, there's a purpose for it. There's a reason that God's inspiring the authors to record the genealogy. And I want to submit to you why I feel like there's a purpose behind this genealogy in verses 14 through 25. If you look and you read that passage, you'll find the biggest bunch of sinners that you could ever write into a genealogy. I mean, you find people, you find sexual immorality, you find deception, you find uh, you find incest because I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you here. Moses' dad marries Moses' great aunt. Like Moses' dad marries his aunt. Like, how do you even, what do you what do you call a mom aunt? I mean, I, I, I don't know. But we also see listed in here are bad parents. I mean, we see bad parents and their kids are going to grow up and walk in rebellion against God. I mean, we see a laundry list of sin and wickedness here. And then there's one verse that I kind of want us to highlight here. It's verse 26, I believe. Yes. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. Think about that. You're coming off of 11 verses of a lineage, of a heritage of sin, of wickedness, of people who are just vile at times and who have lived in moments in their lives at least in rebellion to God. And what does God, how does He respond through this authorship? He says in this one, and it's this, it's these Moses and Aaron that I'm going to use. It's these two yahoos right here that I'm going to use. Even when we have all kinds of sin, not only in our life, but when our heritage is nothing but terrible, horrible, made up of the absolute worst people that you can think of, God's still going, it's these. It's this one. So be thankful for a couple things this morning. Number one, your past does not disqualify you from God having a plan for your life. It's good news, amen? The second bit of good news is, I don't care how crazy your family is, they don't disqualify you from God using you. And I don't, for many of us, having our, not, never mind, I'm not going to go there. But the fact of the matter is, is God knows all about you. God knows all about your past. He knows all about your history. And guess what? He, all, he knows all about your crazy family. Especially that one uncle that you don't talk to during the holidays. And he's still there. Right? But you try to get in the corner the furthest away from him. God knows all of these things. But he still yet looks and it goes, this one. It's this one. Because First Church of Christ in Grayson, this is without a doubt, and I don't say this as pastoral rhetoric, I say this with a genuine heart. This is by far, without a doubt, the most amazing church that I've ever, not only ever pastored, but ever been a part of. And I mean that with 100% sincerity. But here's the reality. 
We're all broken, sin-filled, imperfect people that if God were looking for something to disqualify us, He wouldn't have to look very far to find it. He wouldn't have to look very far to find it. As amazing as a church as we are, we're still the worst. We're still kind of the worst. And I know your families for the most part. They're crazy. No finger pointing, okay? No finger pointing. But God looks and He goes, it's, it's these people. Yeah, I know all about it. I know all about your shortcomings. I know all about your family's shortcomings. But it's these people. It's these that I died for. It's these that I came and sacrificed for. It's these that I have a plan for. And I'm just so thankful. So thankful for a God who doesn't just disqualify us when we deserve to be disqualified. I'm thankful for a God that loves us. I'm thankful for a God even in Old Testament when people think that He was old, mean, nasty, and just looking for a reason to kill somebody, that God looked upon His people with grace, with mercy, and with love. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up and join me. Here in just a moment, we're going to worship once more. And during that time, I want you to kind of reflect on a few things. As we're singing, as we're worshiping, I want you to reflect on how God loves you even though and even in situations where what has been inside of us when it comes out is not what He desires. But yet, He loves us the same.